All right, Greg, welcome back. Hey, all right, we are back. It's been a while. Or has it? Well, I don't know. I mean, podcast time, uh, not really for us. I mean, posting and stuff like that. But I mean, our 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 listener might have thought we'd fallen off for a while. I don't know about that. I have no idea what you're talking about because we're on Snagglepuss Chronicles number three. Yes, we are. Snagglepuss Chronicles number three from DC. And our listeners last week would have heard about Snagglepuss Chronicles number two. Oh my gosh, that's right. They would have. Podcast time. One week later, we're talking about Snagglepuss Chronicles number three. That's right. You see how that works? I do. I do. Oh my gosh. You're ruining the illusion, sir. The illusion of the... I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, folks. And it's perfect that you're ruining the illusion because on the front cover of Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles, we have an illusion that's about to be shattered. (gasps) We do. We do. Because it's got a... Well, I don't know. Which cover are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at the one where he's on stage by the stage door. Yes, the stage door. And everything is um, taken down, but he's he's still standing. There is the main cover, of course, uh, which is absolutely beautiful, I might add, where, once again, the art continues to deliver here. And we've got uh, Snagglepuss with his big cigarette uh, holder, his glasses, and his dapper suit there. Yep, yep. I believe you would wear that suit out. I would totally wear that suit out. It's a really nice green on green. The double that, 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 you know, he's got the vest and the bow tie. It all looks so good. I really like that Paisley print. And of course, the most important thing we get to find out in this comic is that Brian Michael Bendis is coming. Oh, yes. He's DC running their uh, Jack Kirby ads for Brian Michael Bendis of Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, ha- have you met him? I have not. Really? Yeah, I know. In all my journeys, travels, comic cons, uh, tabling, and uh, meet and greets with other comic people, I, we've been in the same room, places, and whatnot. But uh, he and I have not had the um, pleasure of of sitting down and having a a moment. So um, I'm sure we we've passed each other in 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 these places. But, uh, also I'm also very shy in real life. (laughs) That's fair. Well, uh, when it comes to talking to other comic book creators and, and stuff, if I, if I haven't had that, uh, that, that kind of moment, uh, prior, I, I tend not to, uh, just get all chatty with them and, and stuff. So, uh, I mean, my, uh, Case in point, talking to Jeff Parker or Colin, Colin Bunn, um, they're they're super cool, very nice, down to earth folks who have given me a lot of uh, great pointers as to how to do what I do. But um, I wouldn't have engaged them, uh, or my first interactions with them were very awkward, as I'm a very awkward person in real life, not behind the mic. And uh, I'm pretty sure if I if I saw Bendis, I'd probably would garble my words and uh, just probably word vomit for like two minutes 
about whatever. And I'm sure his eyes would glaze over and uh, I would feel really, really sheepish. Well, I mean, the good news, since he's writing Legion now, you could just literally point at me and then I would, you know, babble about Legion for like 40 minutes and then you would look totally sane and rational. Right, right. There you go. That would be... I think we have a strategy. That's a good strategy. I like it. We'll do that. We'll we'll Mr. next Bendis, time we're coming for you. Next time this uh, the opportunity arises, there we go. No surprises. We are coming for you, Mr. Bendis. So, with that started, we flip a page and we have uh, Snagglepuss and Huckleberry Hound. Uh, Huckleberry Hound getting refamous, apparently. Yeah. Yes. And he's our talk show. They're on the Mo Franklin show, which I did look up. I didn't see a Mo Franklin show historically. Uh, I'm assuming we're getting an analog for like either like the Ed Sullivan show or the early Tonight Show. I know the Tonight Show dates back all the way to 1954, which I think is what a year after the story ish. Okay. Um, but uh, the original host was Steve Allen. Uh, but I did find something amazing when I was doing up some research on the tonight show. What's that? Do you know who the first tonight show announcer was? I do not. Who was it was Gene Rayburn. Whoa. And you know what Gene Rayburn is famous for, right? Uh, he is famous for many things, but do tell. Well, besides being famous for many things, my favorite Gene Rayburn is the super long microphone on the match game. Yes. 1973, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever year. And uh, all of his wonderful guests and how appropriate he started out on the Tonight Show, because that's just a giant Tonight Show set where the hosts are all drinking and or the guests are all drinking. And of course, now they replicate it with Alec Baldwin. If you haven't seen a, a version of that, it's truly oh, yes. amazing. I, I have I have uh, partaken in such such shows. It is interesting. I wish they still used the big long. I mean, well, Alec Baldwin does do the skinny mic. Uh, he he yes. has he he has one of those for for a few of his um, hosting gigs, and I, I I really am glad that he does that. But uh, I wish more TV personalities did the skinny mic because the skinny mic is such a cool prop. It looks so neat and clean. Um, as opposed to other microphones or, or non-microphones if they're using a lapel or whatever. But uh, the skinny mic just is a harken back to the uh, the old days. And, and I find it just fun. It's just funny. <laughs> it is a fun prop. And of course, here we have the Mo Franklin uh, show with the mic on the desk and the mm-hmm. classic talk show desk and couch. Uh, we get seen and... Uh, we're finding out a little bit more about uh, Huckleberry Hound. Yeah. Who he is, where he's from. And so, of course, he's a novelist and uh, Snugglepuss is a playwright. And we know from the last issue, Snugglepuss has been writing a play um, that's just about to debut or just debuted. Uh, that's all about the life of his friend, Huckleberry Hound. And here we are. Uh, Mo Franklin is asking about, you know, uh, your novels are about isolation. And is this drawn from your abandonment? Uh, you yourself ex- experience as a pup. Did you disappear? <laughs> I did not disappear. Oh, you were waiting for me to say something. <laughs> you just stopped. <laughs> but that, that is how it works, Greg. Um, I talk a little bit and then you make sense of it all. 
yes, I know. I was I, I was just into what you're saying. Sometimes I get lost in the in the story that that you're weaving. Yeah, well, I do like the fact that Snagglepuss mentions uh, Nietzsche. Nietzsche. I always say it wrong. <laughs> Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Nietzsche is a Nazi. Um, don't judge me, guys. <laughs> but uh, if you look at the precursor of the Nazi party and the Nazi philosophy, uh, Frederick Nietzsche is right behind it. But okay, sorry to diverge there. But and in Kierkegaard, uh, <laughs> but with the struggle of faith, and so not a big Nietzsche fan. If y'all can't tell, uh, but. Uh, it's interesting. We've got the one that's philosophy, but I think, you know, Huckleberry Hound still holds to this sort of down home persona out of place in New York uh, position. And Snagglepuss is truly embracing this sort of writer's philosopher circle that they've set up over the first two stories where he's completely embraced his life in New York, his interaction with, with characters and ideas and, and, and getting his ideas out there where Huckleberry still seems a little nervous about what he's presenting out to the public. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Snagglepuss is a very cosmopolitan person. He's very much, uh, he's like you said, he's embraced that. He's he's enjoying all that the city has to offer. And Huckleberry is much to his own devices. Uh, he likes to stay in. He doesn't, I think that's just due to the fact that he's he's lived a life of solitude for, for this time while he's been, quote unquote, on the road. Right away from his wife and his kid. And of course, you know, you learn a little bit more about his history too, where he starts out like the sad puppy yeah. eyes looking out and the window, he, which you know, is the saddest feels, thing ever. I, I would so, say it's, it's kind of like a being, he put himself there and, uh, you know, he's, he's doing that to himself and, and Snagglepuss is trying to pull him out and bring him into the, the rest of the fray. And now they get back into it. They're on a TV show on the next page. And the host says, Snagglepuss, you once referred to television as a wasteland of the soul. Which <laughs> is one of my favorite lines from all six of these books. Uh, but he makes a great point in something uh, that sort of seems like it's flipped a little bit, especially with streaming. But he says, television is about creating stars and theater is about developing actors. And of course, now I would say probably movies are about creating stars. Television is about creating lengthy stories and theater develops actors. I think that's changed over time. But if you're looking at the time that this was made, right, mm-hmm. and they're really trying to you know, get in it's a little bit post, but, you know, build your stars like a Lucille Ball, right? And, and yeah. see how she can, you know. Uh, Lucille Ball's brilliant, by the way. I'm not saying she's not talented by any means. I could watch uh, the I Love Lucy show like a hundred times in a row and never get bored. Uh, but she's you know, phenomenal. But it's kind of that point he's making, right? Can we build a star and then sustain them across a several series? And of course, you have Jack Benny at the time, too, who I kind of felt like Mo Franklin was sort of an analog for maybe like a Tonight Show host, but also probably Jack Benny. That could be. I could see that. But you had to kind of combine the two, right? Because at the time, Jack Benny's sitcom is running strong. So, mm-hmm. and that plays in. And I, I appreciate them. Uh, and I'll explain why in a minute, because they didn't mess up the timeline for their main subplot story, which we'll we'll see in just a second. Okay. So we flip the page again, and it is a beautiful pool day on top of a building in New York. And Snagglepuss is getting his raisin. And probably, what do you what do you think he's drinking? 
I, you know, that's a good question. It could be almost anything in his cup there, but I'm assuming it's probably a nice uh, hair of the dog, if you will. <laughs> yeah. He's probably, probably had a few tied on the night before and he needs a little little wake up juice, but also a little bit of that uh, um, juice to clear the mind fog. And sometimes the best cl- mind fog clearing juice is uh, what you were drinking the night before. So could be any clear color beverage, uh, vodka, gin, maybe both. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I'll. I'll tell you, they're uh, Peter Potamus, his stage manager calls, freaking out about the young actor they hired to play the the, oh, the no. little little Huckleberry. Yeah, and uh, Peter Potamus, he's you know he's on top of stuff down there. And Peter gotta, Potamus is, keeps SP on track as he continues to call him. It's always yes, SP. Yes. And you know, it's interesting too. I, did did they call him SP in the cartoon? You know, I, I, I bad on me for not going back and watching a few episodes to, uh, to get a little research in, uh, just time has not in my real, my, in, in real time, in real time, in real time, real Greg time, I I had a lot of different things happen that have barred me from doing a quote unquote fun things. So, uh, I have, uh, not been able to, uh, to engage in, in watching cartoons. Like the (laughs) reopening of the retro emporium on Minker street in Kent, Washington. That is correct. As we were closed for a while. So yes, um, uh, changing things around the shop and and doing those things have, uh, have kind of kept me, uh, away from other stuff and, today is a break day so <laughs> well they're acting and we got a guy in the background saying this puppy is no damn good i'll tell you no damn good and he must be no referring to poor huckleberry but that you know poor puppy in the window looked adorable so oh yeah 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 and uh sp says he'll go ahead and take care of what's going on and then he gets another phone call <gasps> and he gets an absolutely freaked out guy in the phone oh yeah it is like just definitely one of those phone calls. You're like, Oh, I wasn't expecting this this early in the morning. And phone he's call. got a guy that says he needs to come over right now. Absolutely freaking out. Looks pretty writery, doesn't he? Oh yeah, very much. So he, he has that definite writer look, um, you know, disheveled and, uh, and, uh, you know, running his hands through his hair. Of course, I, I do that quite often. I look to shovel all the time and, and glasses, of course. <laughs> yeah, and we find out his name is Arthur. So, you uh, know, of an Arthur writer during that time. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so we'll go ahead and flip the page and see what's going on. And uh, there is a blonde woman oh, sitting hey. on Arthur's couch. She looks very familiar. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, so I, for obvious reasons, have never really gotten into Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Uh, have did you? Did you watch uh, all the films and things? I have seen. I have seen quite a few of the films. I have uh, actually. I have the uh, Time Life magazine that is the expose of her remembering Marilyn uh, after her death in our in our collection of magazines. <laughs> Uh, in the basement. So, um, from, from after she passed, uh, and, uh, I hadn't, I, I wouldn't say an obsession, but when I was a kid, uh, I did definitely read a lot of the different, uh, conspiracy theories and other things that surrounded her and, uh, and a lot of her, I'd say 
not conspiracy theories. Well, there were conspiracy theories, but a lot of her, the lore and other things um, that surrounded her and her, uh, I guess, coming to Hollywood and her rise to stardom and her tragic demise. Yeah. And so we've got uh, who we find out is historically speaking, it was Arthur Miller, the playwright who that's the guy. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. uh, and he's, he's kind of famous. You may have heard of him. Yeah. I mean, just, he's done a few things here and there. So if, if you, the listeners have not, uh, checked out any Arthur Miller, uh, plays writing and other things, uh, you should definitely check yes, it out. Watch them and prepare to be terribly depressed and sad when you finish the play. Yes. Yes. But I mean, a good slice of life, if you will. <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it. Um, hey, everyone has a slice and everyone has a life. And this is just his slice of what he's presenting. <laughs> but one thing that, that Arthur Miller did do that puts him square, not as just a great subplot point for this book, um, the affair with Marilyn Monroe and, and eventually uh, spoiler alert, Arthur Miller marries Marilyn Monroe. <gasps> What? But <laughs> he also wrote and produced uh, The Crucible, uh, which was set as the Salem Witch Trials, but it was designed to mock the House on American Activities Committee. And so as a good playwright would do, if you can't speak about the time that you're in, then speak about a different time where the same tactics are being employed mm -hmm. and share it out to the world. Yeah. And that works for any genre, medium and uh, anything that you're you're creating. So um, I've definitely taken note of that. And so Arthur Miller needs some help. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is at his house. Uh, did Do you know who Marilyn, did you know before reading, I guess, who Marilyn Monroe was actually married to at the time? Oh, yeah. Um, as, a, as a young boy uh, who, who also was, um, I, I wouldn't say, I, my dad was a, was, the baseball coach when I, when I was a kid back, uh, was a baseball coach when I was a kid and, uh, one of the coaches. So I, I played baseball and I knew a lot of the old players names. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, there's this guy, uh, I believe his name was Joe. <laughs> yeah. Jolton Joe DiMaggio. Um, that's right. Longest uh, hit streak in the history of baseball still, I think 56 yeah. games. And, uh, Obviously, he played for the Yankees, which makes you evil and also ultra famous. So, yeah, yeah. As, a, as a as a Mariners fan, I you know I learned about losing often and hate the Yankees and the Blue Jays with a passion. So, as a kid, as a kid on the East Coast, I was a Mets fan. So. I was never, never liked in my neighborhood. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know, being a Mets fan is is okay as long as you also enjoy losing um, most of the time. Oh and, yeah, it just prepared me to become a Mariners fan when I moved west. Oh yes, um, that's fine. Do you know? <laughs> do you know? Uh, Nolan Ryan won one World Series. What team was it with? I guess I'm teeing you up here. The Mets. <laughs> the Mets in his rookie year as a bonus baby, the Miracle Mets, and he didn't make it to the World Series for the rest of his career. Oh, so sad. Or win one. I think, yeah. I, think I have that, that, that is, his card in my collection. Uh, what? I, actually, I know I do. Um, so uh, would you like to make a deal later 
of you just giving me that card. I cannot because I think Anne would probably murder me. Yeah, I, that's fair. <laughs> I said that on the podcast. Oh my god, she well, she probably wouldn't, but I mean, she. It's. I, I it's, know Anne's against like putting things in plastic sheets and slabs, but I I might suggest that that one might be a good oh, one to. Oh to no, this one way. already is. This one already oh, okay. is. Uh, I think when we got together, um, our card collection kind of turned into a. This is our card collection, and she got rid of all of my garbage cards as she called them because she is technically the card collector of the of the unit here and um she she was like and these are the good cards <laughs> and how, how did i not know that you had a nolan ryan rookie card well anyway we are way off topic so let's get yeah. back to jolton joe um, yeah jolton joe so we he's angry he's in a car he's driving mad he's driving angry he looks like nick cage yeah, and he's got a book <laughs> called Famous New York Playwrights on his dashboard, which is amazing. Well, because that's what you do back in the day. You don't have a GPS. You don't have anything else. You have a famous book of playwrights and a, and a, um, uh, what are those, the old map books? I'm trying to think what they're called. The something guide, Thomas Guide. Yeah, Thomas Guide, uh, whatever, the Atlas, the thing you carry around. Mm-hmm. The one I used to buy and drive to debate trips with, yeah, before GPS. So, yeah, we're we right? now. That, we're I now remember here. the big books. Oh my gosh, I loved and hated. <laughs> route those things, kind of like them still, actually. But anyway, uh, we get to the bottom of the page, and Marilyn Monroe uh, says everyone knows he's a sugarfoot. That's why they invited him, so nobody would think she was cheating on anybody if she was out for the day with him, and. uh yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about this scene. All right, Greg. So we've got Joe DiMaggio, and we learn a little bit about a, a history with him. He's he's sitting there looking at a ketchup bottle and and lamenting that if he'd hit 57 uh, games in a row, he would have been on every ketchup bottle in America. On them all, he would have been the the face of Heinz 57. And then, of course, we get a little bit of history about Joe DiMaggio. And so we find out that his, his parents were Italian immigrants. Uh, and then he mentions that when he was American League uh, Most Valuable Player in 1941, they took away his dad's fishing boat, told him he couldn't fish anymore. And, of course, we know uh, during World War II, there was a lot of discrimination against Italians. Correct. And it, it's it's kind of one of those things that's overshadowed. Uh, we, don't, we don't really hear about it think about it talk about it much nowadays but it definitely was something that um it happened happened then and the repercussions of it uh stung uh many folks and uh and there was a lot of uh problems <laughs> and of course in new york we know that a lot of of there was a lot of segregation among even western europeans and stratifications and status like uh Irish and Italian Americans were generally viewed as lesser than by other white Western European Americans, which is something we cover historically. But I, I think probably, you know, could sometimes use a little bit more coverage as well. And we get a little bit of that here. And I think that's probably why Russell chose this as a, one of the subplots, right, uh, for the story, because there's layers to the story, right? I mean, you've got oh. Marilyn cheating with Arthur Miller, but you also have, you know, the kind of the story and background of Joe DiMaggio and why he would feel like an outcast in the situation. 
Correct. And, and it's definitely good to bring that up. And I mean, as he's, as he's a portion of the story and you, you need to know why, why he's got that, that anger, <laughs> what's driving him. And Snagglepuss, of course, uh, solves all problems. He brings Marilyn back to see Joe DiMaggio. And once he realizes he's with Snagglepuss, everything's fine. And he mentions he's headed out for dinner to meet a friend. Yep. And, of course, wishes him good luck with basketball. Of course. You know, you got to throw that um, the wrong the wrong game around. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure Snagglepuss knows that he plays baseball. And it's interesting because you flip the page and uh, there's a lot of this story in, you know, through all six issues, I don't really see an anger face on, on Snagglepuss a lot, but he calls Arthur Miller back and he is enraged. Oh and, yeah. He is, and, his face is like, this is a really good image of Snagglepuss, like being angry. Cause he said, historically and canically, he's such a, he's such a nice and genuinely like, you just could, you feel like you could go give the guy a hug. And right now you're like, holy cats, I wouldn't mess with this dude. He will bite your face off. Yeah, he's really a, a mountain lion in this one. So, oh, for sure. And then I think it's interesting too. I love the art here because the juxtaposition between that face and then when he sees his great friend Huckleberry Hound. Yeah. It's like he just like reset. He's like, oh, hey, what's up, buddy? <laughs> yeah. And he's off. And, and it's interesting, too, because I think they set that up well at the beginning of the story, too, with Peter Potamus is usually the one that flies off the handle and he has kind of the mean, angry looking face. And then right, right. in this case, you know, uh, Snagglepuss usually just lets it roll. I'll take care of it. Um, but in this case, yeah, um, his playwright friend setting him up and and using his using him as a gay man to as a scapegoat for him. Right. Yeah. Or as an escape. I guess an escape probably, but escape to escape from the situation. You know, he's furious mm-hmm. by that. Like he doesn't want to be exploited by other people in that way. And yeah, it's like, you can't use me as your shield. That's not this. I'm a, I'm, I am a person too, <laughs> you know? And so we head back to Stonewall and got the, the boys are out for a night out again. Yeah. Head down to the stone wall, get some drinks, see some stuff. And Huckleberry is flabbergasted. He doesn't understand how this can even be possible. Oh, yes. Like he's he's this is not something that he would have seen in the South. It is definitely uh, a different scene for him. And for me, too, I mean, the first time I walked into a gay bar, I didn't believe it could be possible. Was like it my, just like my brain literally couldn't handle that? You're just like, oh my gosh, this is like there are, this is this is normal, or yeah, I mean that's yeah. exactly what it is. There's there's just an inherent amount of freedom built into it uh, that you feel when you walk in, and then you know, at least for me, as I stay longer, right, I just feel even more. It's almost like you let your guards down um, uh-huh. because you always have guards up around you, right, and so. Yeah. I just let my guards down and it's just a different like environment. So it, th- there's a level of safety there. And I think that's, you know, it seems to be based on the, yeah. in Huckleberry on the next page says, Hey, on this day I'm reborn. 
He's found a new. He's found a and new Huckleberry. They do point out it's the only place like it in New York. He's a new Huckleberry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and he seems to be looking at Officer Quickdraw. Yeah, he's giving him the eye. And Officer Quickdraw there is to collect his money. I guess we've now figured out he's collecting money, unlike he wasn't giving it for more drinks, like I thought last time. I believe you were right there. Yeah, he's. He's picking it up. He's he's getting the payoff. I see, I know a payoff when I see one. I've I've been a bad guy. I mean, um, I've never. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> wow. Well, we, <laughs> it's a joke. We, it was a joke. Wow. I mean, you know, I wasn't going to talk about the mafia and how communities band together to do things, but you know, since you're bringing up the Greg Mafia, um, no, 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 I would, no, 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 no. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we flip the page and here's Pablo back and uh, we find out a little bit. Uh, there's a rebel uprising in Cuba. Yep. He's, he has got, he, he's found something that he needs to do. And yeah. And he thinks he's looking and it's just, Hey, you know, this is uh, something that's important. And he's, begin an argument yeah because you know snagglepuss is telling him he's safe here and he doesn't have to worry about it and he's like again trying to quote you know fix everything or just you know wave his magic wand and make everything okay and pablo's like no i gotta go well, I think the other thing too, you've got another juxtaposition here because it's very safe, at least mm-hmm. seemingly safe, right? Obviously, yeah. we know he's been summoned to Huac, but uh, where Snagglepuss can be an out gay man without being an out gay man, right? Like he's publicly with his wife for all anybody knows that they're mm-hmm. together, but then he's leading this other life. It's very clear that friends and celebrities are completely aware of his sexuality, but he can basically be gay in plain sight, right? Like without yeah. any repercussions and Pablo doesn't feel that way. And so no. he sort of feels like he's not living up to what his life or his expectations or even to the, uh, the flashback in the first issue, uh, where his, his boyfriend was harmed by the police in Cuba. And mm-hmm. now he's looking at this revolution and kind of thinking, well, why am I not a part of this? Why can't I stand up and fight? Yeah. And, you know, takes it as a, as a definite call to action. And then we get a massive uh, scene change here. Yeah. Big change. And we get Snagglepuss back with the old man in the nursing home. And he's got his wife there and they're smoking. Yeah. Well, the and everybody's <laughs> smoking in the nursing home. It's really good. Um, I mean, you know, back then it was healthy. Doctors prescribed cigarettes for, you know, coughs and other things. Right. You know, menthol is good for your lungs when you mix it with tobacco, smoke, and tar. It's amazing. So Yeah, yeah. Coats it real good. <laughs> uh, we get back in and he brings, he brings Mrs. Snugglepuss to chat up the old man who yeah. I spoiled in an earlier podcast but won't spoil now. So they're chatting and it seems pretty awkward. It's just a, just a little, little talky talk. 
But uh, Snagglepuss says, hey, his son works on Broadway too, you know, referring to this guy. And his wife says, you know, really? What is he, what's he doing there? And dad says, breaking his father's heart, I wouldn't know I stopped talking to him after his mother died. <sighs> and because he's the one who killed her. Yeah. And so notes he was dead when she he abandoned her and they they leave very quickly after this note's read and we find out you know they've they have to leave for another engagement but they're going to come back next week and the old man says hey whenever you want to slick i can't stop you they don't even let me lock the door <laughs> so there's He's clearly some tension here yeah yeah and uh we move on to the Guggenheim mansion. It's got some cool art, like uh, hanging art so. <laughs> in there. You know, it's the Guggenheim, of course. It's going to have some good looking art stuff or hanging things. They've got, looks like a soiree of some sort going on. And we get some mentions of some current events of the time and impassioned call to arms in the Spanish Civil War. Um, we get up, we learn about Arthur Miller's writing his play about the Salem witch trials. So referring mm -hmm. back to uh, the crucible. Yep. And he even bluntly says, Hey, it's a thinly veiled parable for McCarthyism. So nice of them to tell us that in the story. We weren't just talking about it. So yeah. if you were ever wondering if we're telling you the truth, dear listeners, uh, clearly we are. There you go. It's right Everything there. Say, the it must be truthful. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's the truth as we know it. There's always, there's always three sides. There's your side, our side, and the truth. <laughs> and of course, Arthur Miller, continuing his, his tragedies, uh, mm -hmm. notes that even Snagglepuss over there has been subpoenaed. And yeah. poor bastard, I don't know. I don't think he knows it, but he doesn't cut a deal. He's ruined. So they get into that, and we run into a few other folks. And who do we see attending the party? Hey, it's Huckleberry Hound, and who is that with him? Oh my goodness! It, it looks is. like Quick Draw, Quick Draw McGraw. Oh, they, wow! So they hit it off quickly. I guess they did. And uh, we get into the party, and at the bottom of the page, Huckleberry looks as happy as I've seen him looked as a hound dog. Yeah, but he still looks sort of sad because he's a hound dog. Yeah. And he says, until now, I've never had a place where I truly felt at ease with myself. Uh, you may have saved my life, SP. And Snagglepuss says, I'm glad to hear it. Wow. That's good stuff. Oh, and they got a copy of the Parisian up there. See? Yeah. They relaunched the magazine to make sure that uh, it was uh, not, it was a, an art magazine, of course. And right. then they pick up, oh, yeah. And then they pick up the uh, Marilyn Monroe subplot again. Oh yeah, can bring her back. So they get into it, and he asks about the relationship, and she mentions he's not just some dumb baseball player, um, and that he's really sad, and it's not making her life easy as a starlet. 
Yeah, she's got. I mean, you know, she's trying to she's trying to balance the the starlet persona and uh, a sad baseball player who's dealing with his own his own stuff, and that's got to be tough. And then you know, uh, for for those of us who have who have read about Marilyn, she's she's got a lot of inner stuff as well, and uh, that's not really um, it doesn't it doesn't really come out in this story, but uh, as much. But um, it's definitely there that we get a little bit of it here because we see her sitting in front of some men criticizing her. They say, oh, great. They taught a blonde wig how to memorize lines. And she mentions on the next page, Marilyn is a public spittoon for men's lustic attempt. I don't know how much longer I can go on being her. And Joe needs Marilyn. Mm -hmm. And she and that's what attracted her, Arthur, because he hasn't yeah. even seen a movie. You know, he likes her for her and her commentary. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Arthur Miller's not innocent here. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he doesn't <laughs> just like her for her commentary and her, the discussions, but yeah, at least she feels more comfortable with him. And, and obviously that's what matters. Yeah. Because I mean, there's, the, I'm sure they have engaging conversations that she might not have with Joe. <laughs> And SP even acknowledges it. He says, thank you for showing me the part of you that people never see. So now we're back to rehearsal and there's some continued problems here. And Peter Potamus is going nuts because SP is handling everything around town except for his show that's opening. The play, the production. He's not there. Yeah, he's not there. Where is he? Well, it's good because Squidly Diddley clearly has a job. He's able to turn off lights and uh, move curtains around and everything. So he's no longer playing uh, guitar at the nursing home. Yeah. When you, when you got eight arms, you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. And uh, then he pulls the actor into the to the room and, and they have a chat. Mm-hmm. A heartfelt discussion. And here we are. And so they have a nice heart to heart about being in plays. And he says his future's not there. His future's in Westerns. Yeah. Because that's where, that's honestly where it's going. Well, and <laughs> kind of what kind of looks like he says, you know, have you ever considered delivering your lines with a more of a breathy pout, you know, like Marilyn Monroe? kind of teasing him a little bit, but we find out this guy goes on to be sort of a B star in Westerns. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He sort of looks like a president. B he could be that, uh, that Ray gun guy. Yeah. That's his name. Ray gun. Maybe. Ray yeah. Gun, yeah, because he the wanted Wild to West. put the he, well, he wanted to put the well, and then in the future he wanted to put the things in space to shoot down the lasers. Ray Gun, that makes sense, right? Yeah, he went from westerns to space odysseys, and then eventually we got space yeah. wars. Yeah, space wars. That's right. That's right. No copyright infringement there. Can't get us. Right. So, <laughs> yep. So Ray Gun, and I, I'm guessing that a lot of the TV shows he was on because he was a B great actor and there's a lot of his movies mm-hmm. probably 
build up a lot of debt and deficits. Maybe so, but you know, that's for someone else to figure out. Yep. But I'm sure the middle class <laughs> applauded and enjoyed him. So, Oh, they now, did. I mean, they watched him on TV <laughs> and at home, uh, l- lapping it up, loving it daily, weekly, monthly. It was yearly. good times. Yeah. Good times. Great times. Actually it was after Some good times. times. It was the best times. It was the worst times. <laughs> he was after good times and before good times. Yeah. But when good times was on, he wasn't really doing much. I think a governor of California, maybe. Maybe so. Well, he ran for president in 76, right? I think so. I believe so. Yeah. History. uh, If my, my, my history reminds, (laughs) remembers. I guess he was prominent while good times was happening. I don't know if he was a fan. He didn't make it in 76, though. I don't know if he was a big fan. I don't think so either. He well, was anyway. not <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're back in here and, uh, Greg, the write up for this one's going to be amazing when I write down what we talked about on this episode. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> a little bit of everything. Oh my gosh. Well, that's the way that the overlords at, at the, at the mothership like it. So yeah, we'll, they will keep doing over that at, uh, um, over, <laughs> Over at SCDB POD. Oh. <laughs> where Cthulhu lives. We, where Cthulhu lives. They love it when we, we jack around on the mic a bit and we, we get all goofily. And uh, we, uh, we, we run our mouths about everything except for the comic for like 30 minutes. And then well, we and we're trying to, to smile because <laughs> the comics here get, get a little dark toward the end of most of the issues. So yeah, I know it went from dark to color to dark. Again. Oh, oh, you're talking about the book. It's the story itself. Not the, not the, not the, <laughs> the color, well, the, the art too, because we have the flashback <laughs> yeah. of them in the interview on TV. And of course it's black and white television. And once again, love how, love how they're doing the art and the coloring here. It's an absolutely beautiful book. Oh, for sure. And it's definitely, I, as as someone who loves to see different types of styles laid over, yeah, it's great. Well, we turn the play page and we find out, you know, that the purpose of his place, at least SP says, is to you know admire people in their broken complexity. And Mr. Mo Franklin says, "Your characters are often capable of tragic errors in judgment and stupendous acts of betrayal. Where do you get the inspiration for such low lives?" And he says, "I never thought of any of my characters as low lives. Despicable, yes, but never low lives. Every character, no matter how unlikable, needs to be loved, if only by its creator. And why is that? Because we are all loved, despite each of us being despicable in our own way." Oof, that right there. It's and, good stuff. And that, folks, is why we were joking about Ray Gunn for five minutes. So yeah. we get a, an amazing <laughs> splash page <laughs> and we get the man in the nursing home, which you will soon figure out he's probably related to Snagglepuss. And we get Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe walking and playing their roles as they both lined out in the story. Unhappy in their roles, but they continue to need to fill them, right? And then we get mm-hmm. the two playwrights down below, and they are thanked for a fascinating evening. 
And that's the end. Everybody lying, everybody lined out in the page in their despicable lies. Yeah. Or despicable personas, as we might say. And the only person that's happy is Mo Franklin. He's paid to be happy. Yeah. (laughs) And then we flip. He's got Carmen Miranda coming tomorrow. He's he's good. Of course he's going to be happy. Of course he's going to be happy. She's going to come in with a big fruit fruit hat on and maybe he's going to get a pineapple or a banana and an orange or whatever might be up there. And I'm sure there was no play on words there either. That's historical. I'm sure there was no play on words either. And even as you look at the layers of the writing here, Carmen Miranda coming in with the yeah. fruit basket and we were talking about United Fruit Company and Pablo wanting to go back and fight in the war. Yeah. The layers in this writing are amazing. It is deep. There's a lot of depth. Like you said, it's it, there's so many things that you just keep pulling back and you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And we, we're going to wrap up this episode, but we're going to keep digging into the Snagglepuss Chronicles over the next few weeks. So hang with us and you're going to get one issue after another. I may combine a couple issues down the way, but right now uh, you've got, we'll, got three straight issues here on three straight weeks and keep on listening and we'll finish off the story. But because the story is so great, Greg and I encourage you to reach out and read it yourself. Please do. It is you do yourself the service of, of reading this and, and learning about this. Um, if it's if it's through the comic, uh, learning about this portion of history uh, or if you dig into other things, um, you know, find out about stuff because it's always good to have uh, just a slice of knowledge goes a long way. And this this little slice of history is so accessible to anyone. That's one of the reasons we chose the book and we like it so much. So we'll hope you keep joining us through these discussions. And I'm Dan. And that's Greg on delay. (laughs) We are Funny Book Forensics. And we're out of here on this episode. But join us again next week for issue four of Exit Stage Left, the Snagglepuss Chronicles.